0: Buffaloes are so cute. They're adorable. Yeah. They have yeah. beady little eyes and they big fluffy heads. Yeah. Uh, and they make grape bourbon. Do you have any whiskeys that sound like shotguns? Great. I'll take all of those, please. <laughs>
1: Love it. Love it. Welcome to the Whiskey Topic. My name is Mark Bylock and I'm here with my legal representative, Jameson.
0: Yeah. Uh, Jameson, comma, Glenford. yes jameson uh we've been here in kentucky that again
1: why do i officially call you jameson what's wrong with me because
0: it's a whiskey name (laughs) really i'm amazed you don't introduce me it's like and we're here with jameson 18 or (laughs) jameson distiller's reserve
1: it's true though we're here with jameson i never call you jameson this is like the second time i've been like i'm here with jameson welcome to the whiskey topic my name is mark bollock and i'm here with gleb jameson my legal representative in no way am I your legal representative,
0: but I'm definitely here along with this trip. And uh, We've been in Kentucky for the last, say, four days since Wednesday. Today is uh, uh, it's Saturday. We're heading back to Ontario on the road tomorrow morning,
1: uh, a solid nine, ten-hour drive, and uh, we've had a spectacular time here. We have. It's been a very featured-packed thing. And I should just go back to this whole Glenn being my legal representative. He is my legal representative by saying, I am not your legal representative. Glenn, can you represent me in this? No. Just just no, I can't. It's always backwards day at Mark Bylock's I mean. house. <laughs> we're, so we're going to be drinking Star Whiskey here. We're, we're doing, this has been our, uh, we bought a bottle on when we got to Kentucky on Thursday. The recommendation of Dixon Deadman who hosted yep. us at the Beaumont
0: Inn, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm.
1: And he's like, out of the Four Roses brands, he's like, you buy the Four Roses OESK, the private edition. With Four Roses, they basically have five different yeast strings and two different mash bills. And they combine those so you have ten different types of barrels of whiskey. And you got to open that bottle. Just just do it. Here we we go. There we go. Perfect. Um, We learned. Oh, it's being poured. That's lovely. We learned that every distillery has a different way of making bourbon. All bourbons are generally have a certain amount of corn, have a certain amount of rye, sometimes they have wheat, definitely have malted barley. So it's a very complex thing, and every distillery wants to, just to differentiate themselves. And Four Roses does this by using different yeast rings and two different mash bills, and they combine the two. So your basic Four Roses will have a certain amount of certain barrels and other barrels. But you can buy the individual barrels.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, it was really interesting how it was proposed. So we had a tasting led by Dixon Deadman at uh, the Beaumont Inn, and the person, uh, he also puts together a whiskey that is incredibly sought after down here in Kentucky called the Kentucky Owl. Uh, he really, uh, the sort of thesis of his tastings are really all about scientific process. And he distills it down into... Uh, this idea of variables and controls. And Dixon really he distilled his tasting into this notion of, of controls and variables in sort of a grade nine scientific approach to uh, to whiskey, whiskey making in Kentucky. What sets four roses apart from from most other whiskey makers is most other whiskey makers have a very standard approach to their mash bills and they age things differently in very different conditions and tall rick houses. Whereas Maker's Mark uh, ages all of their barrels in a very similar way, their uh, their rickhouses go about six barrels high, as opposed to seven or eight stories high, which they are at some other places, and and the variable is uh, is the yeast that they use, uh, as opposed to to the height or the conditions that the barrels are exposed to over their you know two to twenty three year lifespans, uh, and so that was. What leads us to what we're drinking right now? We're drinking O-E-S-K, which refers to uh, both the the mash bill and also the yeast that's used. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and um, the whole idea being is you're not getting a lot of, you know, for example, your stag or your bookers are very woody whiskeys that are in climates that are very hot and cold. You want that wood expansion and contraction from the different temperature changes. It gives you a very hot, oaky, thick whiskey. Uh, For roses, not very oaky. It's a very soft whiskey. What we're having right now is a nine-year-old whiskey. You can't. It's nowhere near that Elijah Craig, Booker's. You know, it's nowhere near that level of oakiness. And that's because of the climate that they, they control. The climate. It's not a very hot climate. It's a. The barrels are aged in a very softer environment. Um, and there's a few other examples of this. Maker's Mark is a good example as well where they try to even out the barrels so they move them from the top to the bottom so that they have a very uniformed aging process so they're very predictable. And that's very different from Buffalo Trace where Buffalo Trace is very much like barrels on this side are very cold, this is on the other side of the sun, and these this is kind of flavors we're going to get from these barrels and then they taste them and see where those barrels are going to be.
0: That's right. That's right. And... I mean, Buffalo Trace is so committed to this that uh, they actually make releases based on natural disasters in their facilities. We were lucky enough to taste something called uh, the Colonel E.H. Taylor uh, tornado survivor casks where a tornado hit uh, one of their rickhouses in Frankfort, Kentucky, and they were completely exposed to the, uh, the elements after like one side of the rickhouse was ripped off. Uh, it got very hot, very cold, lots of expansion, uh, lots of natural rain hit it, and it resulted in a profoundly different whiskey than anything else in the EH Taylor series, or even in Buffalo Trace's portfolio.
1: And it really worked by design, that whole idea with the Rick houses they're designed, that outer exterior is supposed to explode out with a tornado because the pressure changes, but the inside is still going to maintain its structure integrity. So. Essentially, and these workhouses are like, some of them are 100 years old, um, some of them are younger, but they're designed a long time ago, and they've been designed specifically for this. The, the joke there was, um, if we just like, put out barrels in a field and have a tornado go through, they're worth a lot more money, because that stuff sold out in no time, and as far as the aftermarket sales, it's very expensive. Yeah, we spent time with uh,
0: Drew Mayfield, who's the uh, master... Blender. The Master Blender. Thanks, Mark. Uh, and he, uh, he begrudgingly gave us a rip on his E.H. Uh, e. Taylor Tornado edition. And it was fantastic. Really remarkable stuff. And, and laughably rare. Yeah. Uh, although, you know what? What we've learned on this trip is that everything is laughably rare. <laughs> if you have any goals of drinking anything that's even remotely aspirational, you need to drink it at a restaurant here or at a bar because you will not find it on the shelves of any liquor store uh we've been laughed out of several liquor stores since coming here after having the chance to taste some very remarkable stuff at buffalo trace for example
1: yeah Uh, i was actually mocked on twitter because i was like ah there's not a bourbon shortage this is a bourbon shortage of stuff i want to buy and somebody mocked me like why would you come to kentucky and not have ordered stuff online and had delivered to your hotel because that is the only way you're getting kentucky bourbon is through online purchases literally we're completely correct
0: Yeah, absolutely. We were working with a a salesperson at a liquor store today who had moved past the it's really funny when outer towners show up here expecting to be able to buy Pappy. And just sort of got sad and withdrawn when he heard, oh, don't you have any cured oak Colonel Taylors for sale? And he says, no, we only got 48 bottles for the state. (laughs) And then there's this awkward silence. It's like, I'll take a Bullet then.
1: <laughs> no, but you're right. It was one of those, like, oh, you're not just asking for Pappy. You actually want, you know, you're not going to get the Pappy. You know, you're coming to Kentucky. You've accepted this. You've accepted this. this is through, you're not going to get any Pappy. But you've accepted a reasonable Taylor. You want Taylor. Yeah. You want a very specific Taylor. What a compromise. Great compromise. Delicious whiskey. Probably better than many other whiskeys. And then it's still not. And then the barrel proof. Nope. No barrel proof. There's some single barrel and some small, okay, small batch, tailor yeah. here.
0: Yeah, absolutely delicious but whiskeys. Beautiful, beautiful whiskeys, but not aspirational. Yeah, aspirational is something that you uh, has a release date and has a story attached to it, and uh, and they just do not exist here. Now, I mean, in earlier podcasts, you've chalked this up on uh, highly informed um, uh, consumer public here in Kentucky. Versus in Ontario, mm-hmm. uh, it just, we're not as eroded as everyone is here. But um, I, I'm not sure that's the case. Like, I just don't think there's a lot of whiskey.
1: No, it's it, gone. It's, it disappears. Yeah. And it sells for nothing. I mean, really, like, Pappy sells for nothing. Uh, what we've heard so far, it's like, you can get a bottle, like, retail, $45, $50, aftermarket, 200 $300. Uh, the 23-year-old Pappy's practically prices, it's, it sells for $200 on the retail, and then afterwards it's twelve hundred, fourteen. dollars We were told $1,400 would be a great price for that Pappy 23. Yeah, you'd be very happy. And we've seen $100 of port.
0: Yeah. I actually think it's a tremendous wealth generation tour for the city of Louisville uh, because every restaurant that we've been to has had uh, the complete flight of, uh, or nearly the complete flight of Pappy including always the 20 and the 23-year-old. And these are immensely rare whiskeys. Uh, they buy them at face value. They're not dealing in the gray market because of liquor uh, license regulations, but they're selling them at $100 a pour. So they're buying these things at $250 a bottle, let's say, for the 23. It's 100 bucks a pop, 100 bucks an ounce and change to, to, to drip
1: it out. It's like that. It's just a bottle of profit. That it is. is. It is. And... When we were here in 2013, that wasn't the case. We had a few restaurants that offer Pappy. like Literally just one. That's one, very important. One had it on the menu. So everybody's smart enough. they like, we get this. We understand the market. We're going to get Pappy, um, and we're going to charge 100 bucks for it, and that's great, and we're going to be very happy with it. I think, like you said earlier, you are like, this isn't bad. You sell two shots of Pappy, and you just drink the rest of the bottle, and it's been free. You've covered your costs. You're good. You've broken even. You're happy with your Pappy 23.
0: That's it. But for me, what's interesting is it's almost like a uh, like a tourism tax in a way. So you can't buy this and take it home with you. But you can consume it in Louisville at an incredible margin that goes directly into the pockets of people who live here. And there is no way, like I cannot believe that more than three shots of Pappy 23 are poured in a given year to people. It's denizens of Louisville and the surrounding areas there's just there's no, no way, way. That so it's from people from, from Toronto people from South, from New York who show up yeah uh, they pay for it it's unique and an experience and part of traveling but outside of that it just doesn't happen
1: it makes sense because everybody around here is aware of it they know the problems yeah and they probably have a relationship with their like yeah, I mean, retailer. The, stores, the retailer they have that relationship with the retailer they know exactly what they're getting um, they know where to invest their money to be able to get the Pappy. And every the tourists are the ones that are just coming in here like, I thought I'd get Pappy. I'm not. I need to spend 100 bucks, but I really want a Pappy. Fine, I'll spend $100. But they'll go to the restaurant and be like, wow, I can get Pappy for 75 bucks. And then it's cheap. Because we've, we've seen that price range. We've seen like yeah, $75 to right. $100, right? For that's the 23. Right. Um, the 15 has been cheaper, but still not cheap.
0: But so what's astonishing to me is that I came here this time to Louisville, or to Kentucky, with the expectation that Pappy is very difficult to come by in a retail sense, uh, and what I've since learned is that Pappy is impossible, antique collection is impossible, rare Colonel Taylors are impossible, um, we can keep going, uh, a lot of Old Foresters are impossible, which for me are middling, frankly middling bourbons, or bourbons to do a lot for me, some Angel's Envy is impossible. Uh, some one-offs from very minor distillers, impossible. And so you'll go to tasting rooms. You'll see these fabulous lists. And you'll be like, oh, man, I drank this great whiskey last night. I want to buy a bottle, take it back with me. And you'll go to a retail outlet, and they'll say, oh, that was in our store for eight days. It was released in August of last year, and you'll you'll see that again in August at some point, and we'll call our best customers. And they'll
1: buy it, and that'll be it. Yeah. I guess what we're trying to say is if you live somewhere other than Kentucky— and you can get these bourbons, just buy them and love them and appreciate them for what they are because Kentucky does not have enough. They literally do not have enough. Yeah, seriously, if you can get your hands on this stuff, party like it's 1999. And just order stuff online, apparently, because, again, I got mocked. I got mocked. Like, you wanted whiskey yeah. in Kentucky. It wasn't going to happen. You yeah. need to order this stuff online and have it delivered to your hotel.
0: Well, and to be fair, so you're taking two whiskeys back with you. I'm taking two whiskeys yep. back with me. We're both taking uh, Russell's 10 because Mm -hmm. you're the expert and I was planning on following suit. Sort of like this is a Jamie comment because we're missing uh, Mark's traditional co-host, Jamie Johnson, bourbon thing. Uh, It's like going shopping with Anna Wintour, the editor of Vogue, and just buying what she's buying. Sure, she'll criticize you for lack of independent thought, but at the end of the day, you'll come home with something really pretty. Uh, And then your second bottle is a Taiwanese whiskey called King Car. Yeah, yeah. I... You came all the way to Kentucky to buy Taiwanese whiskey, because that oh, makes lots of
1: sense. I, I was so frustrated. I, 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 first of all, in, in, we can't, I can't get this whiskey in, in Canada. I really wanted to grab it and um, couldn't get it in Canada. But secondly, Russell's 10 was a great. We, um, Because of the duty and how things work going from the U.S. and Canada, I needed like a least expensive bottle. So Russell's actually is not an inexpensive bottle. It cost us $50. This is not a cheap bottle of whiskey. I was a cast strength one, but I was just I'm like, this is what I wanted. I definitely wanted this. Could not get it in Canada. Definitely no hopes of having it in Canada, so it was an easy buy. And then, yeah, like none of the bourbons on my list were anywhere near remotely hopeful of getting, um, even online. Even online, that were not there. And then there was this whiskey from Taiwan. I'm like, yes, this is what I want. Never tasted it before. Read the tasting notes. I'm like, this, this is whiskey I enjoy. But yeah. again, we were—we've gone to liquor stores. Everything's like I can get this. This is available. This is—it's kind of like going to the club, and you're like passed by the club that's got no people lined up, and you're like I don't want to go in that club. And then you go to the other club, and it's got like hundred people in front, and you're like I'm never gonna get in that club, but I want to get in that club. Yeah, it—it's almost like that. I mean, there's a lot of great bourbon here, but you don't want to get the bourbon that you can sort of get you get you almost get rewarded with like five different stores and you found the one you wanted the only difference is here they're told you're just not gonna get it yeah yeah that that barrel proof tailor that i wanted not
0: happening for me what's what's really funny is i mean my bourbon enthusiasm has has come on strong since i started drinking the stuff in the mid to late 2000s and when interesting bourbon started to be brought into ontario is we went from an era where um you could look at these things online or read reviews but you couldn't touch the bottles to to you could read about these exotic reviews and you could come down to Kentucky uh and you could touch them but you couldn't taste them and then this time that we went down uh we were treated incredibly well again by uh, Dixon Deadman at the Beaumont Inn and then again by uh by Drew Mayfield and the whole team at Buffalo Trace and we tasted some exceptional whiskeys and now we're at that last stage where it's like, you can taste, but you cannot have. <laughs> and yeah. I don't know what is a worse position to be in. Is it in 2007 where the only way to get this stuff is to come down to Kentucky, but no one in Ontario has really tasted good bourbon, so you have no idea what you're missing out on, too. Yeah, I've been there. That <laughs> that we drank was amazing, and there is no way for me to procure it, short of hopping onto a gray or black market scenario where I'm showing up with uh, a lot of Benjamins.
1: Yeah, and it goes goes back to how incredible American whiskey is right now. Uh, it has been for a while. It's been recognized, and the I think the key is the popularity of it has really enthused the distilleries to make better whiskey because they they understand what the client want. They didn't ten years ago. Maybe it wasn't as it wasn't as obvious what the clients want, but today it is. They know they want. They're very oaky forward bourbons, they just want like a bourbon that just like hits you in the face with flavor. They know they want the, ryes, the oh, rye yeah. heavy bourbons that are looking, just going to add that spiciness and character. Like, they've got the market figured out. Yeah. Cast strength stuff, very popular, looking Super for popular. annual releases. Yeah. Like, and it's a very simple model because we as drinkers know exactly what we want. Um, and they figured it out. They, they literally like, this is everything that you want. We're going to give you every flavor of it. Um, but the stuff that the traditional whiskey that's been there ten years ago, we know, we get. Yeah. Everybody gets it. And then a few ones get picked up. You know, the Waller Twelve, great example. It's been around. Yeah. And all of a sudden like got picked up. Just because, you know, we everybody knows the same recipe as, as Pappy. Similar- when you say
0: got picked up, you mean the collective consciousness says I really like drinking this. It is amazing. Get it right. in my liquor cabinet.
1: Wouldn't have gotten the same attention before, but that association with Pappy now was like, oh, it's actually great. Boom, it's up there. So it got picked up, and so now all these all these different lines are just falling out and not becoming available. Such a fascinating story. Yeah, really, really great. Um, and I like the fact that um, unlike Scotch, where they have the A statements and there's all this you know no A statement A statement whiskey, um. Bourbon doesn't really matter because it comes down to flavor. Nobody's like bragging. They're like, this is 10 years. They used to have maybe eight years on it. They took away the A statement because maybe now it's seven years. Yeah. But it's still, they can still work with that profile. There's there's enough variation in a lot of different barrels that they can give you that same flavor. Maybe cheap, no, maybe like instead of eight years exactly, it's like seven years and six months. Yeah. Not going to make a big difference for you uh, or any difference for you, but they're able to work with it. Um, I think the best uh, moment we had, we were at Buffalo Trace at the um, at, at basically where they pick whiskey. Yeah, in their tasting lab. Yeah, in their tasting lab, um, blends, blends, single barrel. You kind of wonder, like, okay, single barrel. You you know that these are very individual barrels that come out and give you flavor. We were there, and this wasn't part of the tour, but they, we just walked by. There's a table. I don't know if you've ever done dim sum, dim sum, but if you do a dim sum. Yeah table. They have that middle part that turns around. Well, in this case, the middle part didn't turn around, but the outer part does. Literally, they have like 30 little small bottles of samples from different barrels and then already pre-poured glasses into the sipping glasses. And you literally... They have a team of what is it, four to six people.
0: Yeah, I think it was yeah, between four and eight people. Yeah. Taste these
1: every day. They pick out what is a what is a blend and what isn't, and they just go in, they taste it, and then they have a ch- literally a paper board, and people check off. Today I take, and that board had like twenty five names on it or something. Yeah, we, we don't know. Totally. But it's one of those things where like people come in, they do some tastings, and they and they check stuff off, and it's veto power essentially. If you don't think this is bland you just churn it around. Yeah, you and turn that's the it. bottle, and, and that—that's been denied. Um, and that's been pretty amazing, like that, that kind of like quality every day that happens.
0: Well, what's so crazy for me about that is, uh, and I ask questions about this, is it seems old, like a very old world way of dealing with quality control. I mean, we're so used to uh, spectral analysis, we're so used to uh, deeply analyzing the phenols and ethyls and everything. Uh, for for four or six pallets or eight pallets to come in and taste a whiskey and to decide whether something is or isn't bland, for I me, mean, was fascinating.
1: So interesting. So when we did, this, so we were very curious and we started just nosing these different glasses. Very, everyone was so different. Yeah. I, I mean, so different. Everyone was relatively different. I just got different notes from every glass, and. You know, then we were told, well, it's really about the taste. Because then it considers we were drinking them at a cast strength. We are nosing the cast strength. They get watered down. So then the margin of error is higher. Yeah. Once it's a little watered down, everything's going to taste a little more similar. Uh, but still, there was some variation to it. And that's Absolutely. an amazing part of the single barrel additions.
0: Well, and you can't help but think of the lab tech who woke up in the morning and got yelled at by her boyfriend or her husband. And then, like, got stuck in traffic at work and then forgot her lunch and was yelled at by her boss and then had to go in and touch, I don't know, fifty glasses of blends. Like it's crazy to me to think that like the way that we're deciding this is is completely it's obviously these people have very trained palates, but the discipline to dissociate yourself from your contextual reality is really impressive because, you have a bad day there isn't a lot holding you back from being like no not blends no not blends no not blends no not blends and turning around 50 barrels that they have to reallocate to some lower grade of uh,
1: of bourbon or no longer a single grade of bur- or single barrel of bourbon and that human element is interesting because you could literally have a computer, and I don't know how this works exactly. You probably stick in a rod, and the computer magic tells you what's in there. And yeah, little like,
0: lights goes off, yeah, and there's and like, like a ticker tape comes out the other side. Totally. Danger Will Robinson, and you got it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, but that's not what's being done.
0: But Drew at Buffalo Trace said, I mean, the, the amount of time it would take to actually spectra analyze these, uh, these bourbons to try and fit a taste, and then to add sort of like a basic, rudimentary human tasting. Uh, test to it would be immense. Like mm-hmm. the cost and the time would be insane, and mm-hmm. so they've got these trained pallets. That's what these people do. They come in, they taste these things, and it's a it's it kind of makes sense for me mm. just from a governance perspective. I would have expected that it would be uh, uh, there would be no veto power. That that you would need two strikes or three strikes to off a bourbon, but uh, it's simply if someone walks in and says, "Now that's not blends," mm. and it's out. Although it makes sense, like, on the user experience end as well. Like, I was asked by by Dixon at the tasting what my daily drinker was, and I, I happen to really be fond of blends. I've got a nice bottle of it right now. And, uh, I mean, memory is a funny thing, but I was really enjoying this bottle as opposed to the bottles I've had in the past. You've got a bottle right now you've remarked on several times in the last few days, which is... This is a great bottle of blends, as opposed to the middling bottles I may or may not have had before.
1: No, you're right, because blends, great whiskey, really enjoyable. Yeah. Middling old... is not fair. It's no, never middling. It's it fantastic is. stuff, very but balanced. There's great. this one bottle I have. And it's a single barrel. Obviously, I just I keep going back to. I'm like, I don't want this ever to end because I've had others, and it's funny. Somebody else that bought the same barrel was like, "Didn't you find that a bit too oaky?" I'm like you know what, that's what I loved about it. Blends is not, normally not okie okay enough for me, and this one is oaky. And it's amazing to think that at least eight people on that day, that barrel was going through its examination test. Am I gonna make blends or not? And four people, eight people probably said, it's a little oaky, but you that's know blends. what? It still blends. That's blends. That profile's there, and it passed. And yeah. for me, it's like, this is great. This is like the perfect barrel for me. Elmer um, T. Lee. Also, we, got, we heard the great story of like you know, Elmer Tilly sitting down at that chair. Yeah, we sat down
0: at a table that uh, naturally twisted. It spun around. There were about 25 bottles on it, yeah. 25 glasses outside of those. And uh, the three of us sat down at it. Uh, the master blender, Drew Mayfield, uh, and then you and I. And, and one would take a sip and then turn the, bo- turn the table a third. The other person would sip, and then the other person would sip. And Elmer Tilly sat there every day for a few hours. Deciding
1: yeah. this is El Murti or this is not. Yeah. And the best part is they have so many of those tastings that they know what El tea is just like they know what blends is. That's right. And there's some variation. There's always going to be variation, but they know what that profile is and they get it and they can do it. It's amazing. It's like literally that is going to keep on living.
0: It's, it's interesting, though, again, for me, it's this idea of, uh, of almost they're not rejecting technology. They have a mm-hmm. huge chemical lab set up, not huge, but like a chemical lab set up right beside
1: dials, green lights, red lights. They've got the whole bit. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So, so they're doing that, that, um, that heavy work, like the work in analyzing it and working with numbers. Uh, but they still have sort of a colloquial knowledge of what Elmer Teeley looks or tastes like. And they stick to it. Like that's like, go with your gut is essentially step number one. And, Step number two is sort of cataloging over time, I
1: guess, mm-hmm. what Elmer Teeley looks like on a, spectro, a spectrometer. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, amazing. And I think that kind of attention translates into the product because if computers decided this, then every blend, every, every Elmer Teeley would taste identical, and you'd yeah. be like, okay, yeah, yeah. But that little bit of variation makes life interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, from a yeah, user experience sentiment, Uh, the idea of shopping for Blanton's now is is pretty fun. The other thing that's hilarious that I learned about Blanton's is that there are a series of different uh, horse and rider uh, iron casts on -hmm. top of each bottle. And so they go through the various stages of a horse race. Never noticed before. Always knew the iconic bottle. Always knew the bottle cap. Always knew there was a horsey and a jockey. Uh, and now it's like, ooh, I kind of want the jockey with the S after he's done the race with his arm in <laughs> his air celebrating the win. Because that's typically when I drink blends, <laughs> as opposed to mid-race, which is definitely when I don't drink blends.
1: <laughs> it's it's the, I've succeeded in life, in the project. I've this,
0: succeeded in the last 12 hours. Like, let's narrow this down yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. If this is your daily drinker, <laughs> it's like, did you get your work done? Yeah? Everyone was happy? You made some phone calls? Okay. All right. Here you go. And up in the air. Put your yeah, arm in the anyways. air. Yeah. Nailed
1: it. Yeah. And of course, the funniest part is people will go in a gift shop and buy the same barrel because that's a big deal, right? Because a single barrel, yep. the same barrel that spells out blends, And that's worth a few thousand dollars. It's an amazing thought. Like, yeah. So weird and so amazing at the same time we really messed with one of our
0: bartenders in our earlier nights. We were out in the country. Again, we were at the Beaumont Inn. They've got a, a little uh, a restaurant, tavern, uh, and then the bartender, rural kid, nice, probably 23. Um, we were ordering some single barrel and he cracked, he cracked the tail end of a bottle of Colonel Taylor single barrel and poured out three quarters of an ounce or three quarters of a pour. And then went out and back, grabbed another bottle, cracked it. And just as Mark and I looked over, just to be dicks, he just poured it. And we both went, oh, oh, Oh. oh, we can't drink that. You It's so good. What's going on? And this kid just looked at us with like disdain. What is wrong with you people? (laughs) This is great whiskey. Look, they're from the same bottle. This is the same as the single it barrel, looks single identical. barrel, no problem. It's like they're from two separate barrels, uh, and then we stopped being dickheads and basically said we're sorry. We well, have to deal also with us we all night.
1: to clarify because we've seen that same single barrel Taylor for about fifteen dollars, fourteen dollars, and eighteen dollars, and twelve dollars. That, this was part of the $5 menu. We were, we were paying yeah. $5 bucks for it was a Single Barrel. like $5
0: bourbon bash menu. Yeah. Uh, we had some of the, the Well Whiskey. This was kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Well Whiskey, every region's different. And every bar is a little bit different, too. And so you have some regions that have Canadian Club as their bar rye. Or it's uh, like Prince Igor Vodka versus Smirnoff Vodka. That sort of thing. Uh in Kentucky, it seems like the bar bourbon of choice, the rail bourbon, is something called Benchmark Eight, mm-hmm. which uh, sells for about seventeen dollars for a half gallon. <laughs> um, which, so wait,
1: seventeen? Not for pour? No, oh no, no, no. It was no. uh, three dollars for a pour, I think. Yeah, roughly. I think it was like an eighty cents. I think there's an eighty cents tax times on three bucks. Yeah,
0: yeah. But. Um, but yeah, not a bad little whiskey either. Yeah. Actually, uh, I didn't. I didn't have to make my Canadian club face, which was which was really nice.
1: You know, that's a good thing. When we were at Buffalo Trace, they um, one of the things that, that basically we tasted like the bottom rail whiskey, uh, American whiskey, which was essentially eighty percent vodka. Essentially, it, it was eighty percent distilled, barely aged whiskey. From a very highly proofed, so and then watered down, and then twenty percent rye, I think it was rye, and that was basically like the, we've had eighty percent no flavor. It's basically vodka, twenty percent flavor, and actually was was relatively decent for the price point, uh, similar to that. It was like eighteen dollars for a liter or whatever. Um, very very interesting, nice whiskey. but I got to ask you a question. We tasted a lot of good whiskey on this trip. What was your favorite whiskey? Uh, yeah. Don't care about price point. Don't care about anything. Your favorite whiskey we had so far.
0: Sure. I'm going to be really boring. I'm just going to say, uh, the Pappy 20 that we had at our Buffalo Trace tasting, Mm -hmm. uh, I really wanted to not like Pappy. Really, every bone in my body wanted to make Benchmark 8 my favorite whiskey of all time. And I would just (laughs) smuggle hundreds of liters of it back with me because it's so inexpensive. But, uh, Pappy 20 was, uh. It was sweet, uh, it had, uh, had a nice sort of uh, oak component to it, but it had this honey, honeysuckle, uh, and this like, very, very luxurious and full mouthfeel to it, this viscosity that I had never experienced before that was a very pleasurable experience.
1: Not only are you my legal representative, but you also have a bicycle oh, from you've the gotta 80s. Oh, you got to stop saying that. <laughs> All right. You have a yeah. bicycle from the 80s. You, you, you were, you're like, you really wanted something traditional and old and simple. Just be like, this is what I like. And then the Pappy 20 was like, that's yeah. what you wanted. Yeah. That was really good. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. And, and we should say this was next year's Pappy. So well, this that's later right. 2015 Pappy. It was really good. Yeah, it was upsettingly good. It was upsettingly good. It was. I think my favorite was the, um, oh, this is going to sound terrible. The 2015 Stag was good.
0: Okay, hold on a second. So you're choosing the 2015 Stag over the uh, the Cured Oak E.H. Taylor <sighs> uh, because you were at least messing over that. And also when you were drinking that 25-year-old Hirsch rye, you were in a pretty happy place too.
1: So the Hirsch 25. Yeah, Um, let's start with that. Great story. Um, It's essentially, so rye, well, one of the the themes of the trip was um, how rye is a very easy substitute to aged whiskey. So the good example of this is like Bullet or 1792, very delicious drinks, has a ton of flavor. And the reason why that flavor is there is because of the rye. Rye, even a little bit of rye, 20% plus is going to overpower the drink. And it adds a lot of flavor and that makes it a very delicious drink. Bullet's the perfect example. Very, very, very example of that. Four Roses has a lot of rye content, a lot of different things. American rye has to have at least 51% rye. Yeah. And Hirsch was aged for 25 years. The nice thing about that is because rye overpowers everything, you need a lot of oak to balance that out. So... This very high rye, so much rye. It was so dark from the wood. It looked like Coca Cola.
0: Yeah, it was insane. It's like we see in Scotch, we see Caribbean casks and sherry casks and pork casks. It was like this rye was aged in like molasses casks. Like it was so dark. It was the, insane, and it's been cut too. Like it's this wasn't watered was down. Strength. Yeah, this was. Uh, yeah, it was watered down when it came out of the barrel. I bet it looked like. Like forty twenty oil. Oh, they, they, that's probably why they water it down. It's
1: like, this is way too dark. And so you're like, pouring maple syrup into a glass? Exactly, exactly. It was so delicious. And that would be my favorite unique drink that we had because it was beautiful flavor, a lot of complexity. It still had those rye notes, but it was really heavily complemented by the oakiness. Um, and that's an interesting thing on the trip as well is the... You get that spicy flavor from two, two sources. The first being rye. Rye is going to get very spicy. gives you that in those notes, especially for the middle to the end. And then um, whiskey that's aged in wood, very heavily aged, is also going to give you a very spicy flavor. More towards the end, less towards the middle. That's right. But it's going to give you a spicy flavor. So this 25-year-old rye just had a lot of spice all the way through... Not overpowering because there was also that just general oakiness, the vanilla, caramel aspects to it. Delicious. The most unique drink I've had this trip. What it raises is a great question. Uh, and that's like we
0: go through. Uh, so like we've gone through some incredible reserve lists and some incredible bourbon lists at some of these little restaurants. Well, uh, restaurants across Kentucky or bars across Kentucky. And we'll see frequently. We did whiskeys in their twenties, and, uh, and and sort of uh, middle of the road mash bill uh, whiskeys in their twenties. We never see rye whiskeys past I don't know fifteen. Like mm-hmm. how I could the twenty the twenty five yeah. year old whisk or twenty five year old rye whiskey is like nothing I've ever seen. Why
1: are, are ryes never aged like that? You know what? Though great question, simple answer: ryes weren't popular twenty five years ago. Oh there's
0: just no stock.
1: There was no stock. So what I think we're saying is in 10 years you're going to start be, seeing everything's going to be rye aged rye. You're going to see it everywhere. It makes so much sense, such a great combination, but 20 years ago nobody lo- like everybody liked sort of everybody liked bourbons that had some rye, but not too much. Bullet came through in the early 1980s was was one of the first high rye bourbons that really made it. Right. So people started getting used to that rye flavor in the U.S. And that brought about the rye movement eventually, really very recently. Very, very recently. Which means, yeah, in 10 years, you're going to get those 10, 15, 20-year-old ryes.
0: It's almost like the wine industry. I mean, for a while, the wine industry was tearing up all of these uh, native— so in Italy, they were tearing up uh, native grape varietals and replanting uh, Merlot— yeah. And then all of a sudden, by the time those, it takes like eight to ten years for vines to really start producing uh, wine-quality quality grapes in any sort of volume. And by the time that had happened, Merlot was totally out of fashion.
1: Yeah, So it's
0: like these guys, same sort of delay. It is like they're going to be pounding back all this rye for late, late aging. And it's possible by the time that those start to get older, we'll be on to something
1: different. I, I think um, very well-oaked ryes are... Far better than oaked bourbons, for sure. like Very interesting. I mean, look at Stag. Love Stag. Yeah. Aged for many, many years. Beautiful drink. Hits you with flavor. The rye at that age just gives you a lot more complexity and thought and everything else. So they're basically very extreme examples. I don't know, man.
0: I just confessed my total boner for a 20-year-old Pappy Van Winkle. I mean, that's a weeded bourbon. It hits you in the front of the palate. It's got this viscosity to it. It's totally different in terms of a drink. Like it yeah. feels miles away from from that 25-year-old rye or a stag. It's just a different drink, but it, it is. ages beautifully. It's so incredible. Moving from the 15 especially, it's a different, different thing.
1: And that's, I like, guess, what we were saying earlier, that that middle palate is what you're really attacking. So with the rye-heavy bourbon, you've got a lot of spice in the middle of the palate. With... Um, a rye, a fifty-one percent or more rye, you're going to have rye all the way through, um, and that wheated bourbon is going to have the wheat does not provide any middle flavor. Um, it provides yeah. texture and a little bit of sweetness, but thinks now you're looking for that oak, and I think that Dixon made this point especially is he's looking forward to that oak and how that ages and that oak allows to come out because the rye isn't taking over anything. There's just wheat. Yeah. It's very subtle, so it gives you more of the woodiness to it and lets that flavor make more sense.
0: But his attitude was interesting. I mean, his attitude, as I interpreted it, was, um, so a little rye goes a long way, but uh, rye creates enough noise that it makes it very difficult for, for the barrel aging, so for the oakiness to come through. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you add that wheat into the, the mash bill, it creates a space for that oak to be heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, Great. that uh, to get rye and barrel aging for that oak to come through is a real challenge. And yeah. so with the Hirsch, I mean, and like, it was a fabulous, fabulous beverage. It, maybe there's a lot of art to to having a rye whiskey that worked in concert with the long-term barrel aging mm-hmm. to bring a, a really complete uh, tasting, nosing and tasting experience.
1: Yeah, agreed, agreed. I I really enjoyed that drink. I think it was a dark, unique drink. It had a lot of flavor. Um, The Stag 2015, we had the 14 and the 15. That's right. Um, The 15 is going to probably have more alcohol. Yeah, they're not done. They're not done. They're not done. So right now,
0: they're suggesting a little higher proof. Yeah.
1: More towards, I guess, the 13 range. Um, They, It looked... It was... I always think a stag is a very forward, punchy drink, a lot of attitude. This is not. This is a little more settled. The stag was a little more settled. Um, and for that reason, I really respect the stag. It was just still had a lot of flavor, but I guess it made more sense. It felt like the NT Collection is growing up a little bit. Yeah, I agree with that. That's a great way of putting it. It's, just, it's growing up a little bit, getting a little bit more character- well-rounded character. Well-rounded would be the word
0: that I would describe, yeah. the 2015 version, yeah. as opposed to the 14. Yeah. And the 14 is a beautiful and very complete drink. Yeah. So it's it's exciting to think that, that they're progressing
1: in this manner. Which is kind of what you want. You don't want the drink to stay the same year after year. You do want every year to have a slightly different expression that fits the storyline.
0: That's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny. It's uh, we spent the first half of this podcast talking about how important it is for Bland's to never really change, or for Elmer TLE to have a very consistent flavor. But uh, within the NT collection, I think you're right. Like, I think that uh, each year it should reflect how, where the where the distillery's at, where mm-hmm. we're at, um, how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, Being on the campus, I'm going to call it a campus because that's really what it is. It's a, an amazing, amazing area. Being on the campus at Buffalo Trace right now is incredible. Like, they're a privately held company. They're owned by Sazerac in New Orleans. And uh, like they just are spending money on research and development. They're trying to come up with some new products. They have time uh, for people like you and for me to tag along. Uh, and they are doing some wonderful stuff. Like They feel... Like they're in a, a growth pattern and a pattern uh, of really trying to chase after a new or, or more perfect uh, flavor profile for things to offer consumers. Yeah,
1: I think they, they're one of the things we've heard, which could be, you know, marketing and whatever. But a lot of the terms what we've heard repeatedly is they're going after the holy grail of whiskey. They don't feel they found that yet. They want to go after that perfect whiskey and they're experimenting a lot to get there. Um, you know, Buffalo Trace Experimental Collection, great example, done in different still, they use different woods, we've seen a barrel that was marked, I mean, Glenn literally took a photo of a barrel that said, peated collection, experimental, like, they're looking at peated bourbons, they're looking at all these different kinds of whiskeys and how it affects things. They're looking, hey, if it's a tree, American oak, top of the tree, middle of the tree, bottom of the tree. How do these things affect the flavor? That's really great. Um, and It's not to say other people are not doing the same thing, but it's not as obvious. Buffalo Trace puts it out there. They have their experimental collection. They say, hey, if you want to experience this with us, you can get the experimental collection, see what we're doing.
0: Yeah, I found it... I found the notion of trying to find the holy grail of of bourbon very strange. Because if any if any distiller's collection is more diverse than, there's no distiller's collection who is more diverse than uh, than Buffalo Trace. Like you look at how deep they go into their rise, how deep they go into their straight bourbons, and how deep they go into their weeded bourbons. They're very different profiles. So for me, there is no holy grail of bourbon or like a perfect bourbon. Uh, and For them to suggest that's what they're chasing after is just disingenuous. Uh, but... They are chasing after new and exciting flavors, and yeah. that is, like, from a consumer's perspective, they're passionate, they've got some cash behind them, they're not trying to make next quarter's financials, uh, they are just chasing after what they're passionate about. And I, I'm, Those barrels that were marked peated whiskey, or odd or unusual oaks, or their experimental collections, that is so exciting. And I'm so sad that we'll never be able to buy any of that stuff. <laughs> and I just hope that they'll continue to invite us back year after year to try this stuff that
1: we'll never have a chance of trying. Yeah, I I think um, sometimes it's important to have a goal that's impossible to reach, which is, I think, what they're going for. Like, yeah. this goal is never going to, because there's not a perfect whiskey. Which is why we continue to chase different flavors and profiles and look at our moods and how we're feeling that day and what we want to drink. There's never a perfect whiskey. But to have that goal of a perfect whiskey, it's the same as having a perfect car. There's no such thing. There, There is no such thing. Sometimes you've got kids in the car, you've got your dog in the car, sometimes you're on your own you just want to drive the road. You're never going to have the perfect one car. But you kind of want the perfect car. There's this
0: great sketch in, sketch in Portland, India, and it's... Uh... There's a band called uh, Catnapped, uh, and they play this song called Catnap Fever, which involves two musicians being held hostage by a crazy woman with a gun, and a cat playing an amped up scratch pad, uh, and they go to the offices of Pitchfork, who, uh, who are just writing a review on this, and the guy that's writing a review on this is just like, no, guys, we can wrap it up. This is perfect. We've actually got there. Our job's done. I'm just like, we perfected it. Music is perfect. It's done. <laughs> it's just like, to through the concept, it's like this is never actually going to happen. Ever. It's insane to think that it ever will. Ever, yeah. So as a goal, sure, I, I'm happy. I'm happy to support them on that. But uh, the exciting thing for me is the different ways that they're exploring developing flavors. So you got really into uh, stag Senior, as you just said, uh, both of the 14 and the 15. Uh, You got really into the Hirsch 25-year-old. And the other thing that you got really excited about, from my perspective, was the E.H. Taylor uh, cured oak. And so they're taking the staves of oak, and they're curing them for 13 months, as opposed to typically, I think it's five or six months. Uh, And you were super into that. Watching your face taste, and that was pretty fun.
1: Yeah, the cured oak really got me. I think it all depends on how much whiskey you drink and... What your experiment level, what your experience level is at, and the reason why I really like the cured oak is overall really delicious whiskey, had a lot of great aspects of it. It was still Taylor and had that, but the cured oak, um, you may experience this in some whiskeys when you breathe out. So, you take a sip of whiskey, you, you smell it, you take a sip, and then you swallow the whiskey, and then you breathe out, and sometimes you just get. What usually you just get what you just tasted. You breathe out, it's like you just th- your mind just throws it out because it's like very what you've had, um, and then these really rare examples of whiskeys you breathe out and you get something completely different. And the Curado gave me that, which was just a very nice surprise. And I think that was the look on my face. I was like, "Whoa!" I don't normally get this, and I do sometimes, but very rarely get an interesting sensation breathing out the whiskey. Um, and really, for that, for me, was just so delicious. Nicely done. Um, also, I believe sold out. It went on sale two months ago. It's gone. We asked. We got laughed at. We're like, do you have this cured oak? What? That, that was two months ago. It's gone. No, it was even worse than that. The cured oak. Are you serious? It's the like, state of
0: Kentucky got 48 bottles of I'm the cured
1: oak. That's like, just not happening. The number
0: you have dialed is not in service. Please check the number and try your call again.
1: Well, we should say it's been aged for 17 years, too. Like, this is not like, oh, we'll experiment with cured oak. No, they experimented with cured oak for 17 years, and they decided, like, this is the year to release it. It's, well, like, it blows my mind. But like, it's, where, where, where's the cured oak from five years ago? From, like, 10 years ago? Yeah, it wasn't ready. But it's, it's now all it's
0: experimental. Ready. I mean, that's what's, what's amazing and exactly. amazingly frustrating about the whole process. Well, what's funny for me is we we tasted two Colonel Taylors at Buffalo Trace. Uh, They pulled out the Tornado Survivor that we talked about earlier uh, that is laughably gone and probably worth $1,500 a bottle on a black market. Uh, And then we tried the Cured Oak right after that. And for me, I was super into the Tornado Survivor. That was awesome. Really, really great. Uh, And then I got into the Cured Oak, and I didn't get it as much. It was less sweet. Um, it was less approachable for me. And watching you drink it
1: was like you were just seeing colors. Oh, yeah, the tornado did nothing for me. I was just like, yeah, this is great. But and to, to be fair, that tornado, we had a bottle, and that was everything else we had that day was very healthy pours. That was just a tiny pour. It was that rare. We're like, you're here with the whiskey blender from Buffalo Trace, and even he's like... Not gonna give you the three ounce four. Yeah, he's got the eyedropper out. He's just like, this is it's so rare and so amazing. I'm just gonna give you like a few drops of that, which totally get understand. But that is how rare that is, which is an amazing thought. Like, yeah, from the institution itself, they're not holding back. The weirdest part of that day, um, we we couldn't photograph everything we saw. Yeah, they were very specific in some parts. They were like, "You have to hide this. You have to hide that," um, and then we were told, "So, what else do you want to try?" And we were in this room with everything ever Buffalo Trace ever made. And in some cases, it was just like a piece of paper stuck on with like handwriting on it. It was just the weirdest experience. I, I it was for I, me.
0: I, are you watching? So. And again, like I'm the amateur here, but watching watching Mark in that room filled with all of these experimentals, all of these bottles that are five inches tall and have some unknown components to them that'll roughly taste like something on the market that they're toying with, it was, for me, just like being an adult on Halloween, where you're giving out candy and you just lower the jar of candy as a test of character for the like, four or five-year-old who's deciding whether to stick his hands in and take all of the candy because you've lowered it or to ask like, may I have two or to wait for some sort of indication where you wanted to go
1: and you you were on your best behavior. I, I was. I almost embarrassed what I picked, which is weird because they had 23 pappy, they had stag, they had like every year of every Buffalo Trace antique collection they released. Um, it was
0: like something out of Willy Wonka though. so like, what would you like to try?
1: Every Buffalo Trace experimental collection they've ever done. Oh, God, all the whiskey. <sighs> I've, I've, I've got tension just thinking about this. I felt like everything on that list I maybe had a taste of of something similar. The one thing I haven't had was the uh, rye, the 13-year-old uh, Pappy Van Winkle Family Reserve rye. Um, and that was it. That was what I picked. That was That was it. I'm, I'm sure I could have had more. I don't know. Didn't ask. Um, but that was the one I uh, picked, which... I was actually just kind of disappointed about, kind of had it, is was that right? See, I'm happy with mine, because I got mine mid through the
0: tasting. Like, mine was the tornado. Yeah, you were... Do you have any of that tornado lying around? You've brought it up twice now. It's like, uh... That bottle had so little left in it already. They're so sweet. Really, so sweet. just want yeah. to hug a buffalo after that.
1: Buffaloes are so cute. They're
0: adorable. Yeah. They have beady little eyes and they big fluffy heads. Yeah. Uh, and they make great bourbon. But uh, again, like a shout out to those guys. That was fantastic. And so after we left Buffalo Trace, we headed on to, uh, I don't even know what town it was in. Uh, Lawrenceburg, maybe? Uh, we went to Barton's in 1792. Mm-hmm. and We hung out with uh, 1792's... Um, Oh, we checked out their facilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most different experience from Buffalo Trace, but mm-hmm. we spent a lot of time thinking about um, like the economics of choosing to make a cast strength whiskey or not. And I thought that was really interesting. So there, apparently, there have been rumors swirling around that 1792 is going to come out with a cast strength, and and they've been hotly debated. You said that Ken Pierce who mm-hmm. was in Ontario uh, two weeks ago. Yeah. and said that there was definitely... Go- no. There was, <laughs> no, there was no definitely. Was never going to happen? Cold day in hell? Like, I can't remember
1: what you no, said. No, he did not say never. He just said, I can't comment on that. Is it coming out next week? No, it's not coming out next week. Which was a very big indication. It's like, are you ever coming out with this? Like, it, He basically indicated it's going to come out eventually. And we had some version of the cast strength, um, or at least a single barrel no, we didn't have so
0: su- sorry in Ontario or on our trip. No, on our, our trip, trip we definitely sucked with a big metal turkey baster some 1792 out of a cask that was single barreled and was cast strength. Yeah, and it was. I am not a huge 1792 fan naturally. This was excellent. It, it was, was very good whiskey. Yeah, uh, and it left me scratching my head and you scratching your head. I believe. Why don't you just put this on a shelf?
1: Like I would pay money for this. Yeah, I'd like to have this in my cabinet. It goes back to the rye, right? Because 792 is very rye heavy, so you're not That's liking it right. because it's too rye heavy for you. Like it's got all that spice of flavor. Whereas, um, but the reason for that is because it's been watered down. So no matter how much water you add to that whiskey, it's gonna still have rye. But the answer to that is having it at cast strength because at this point no water you're not watering down the product that rye flavor is there but it's not overpowering That's so it, was, right. it was it was a very good drink a nice thing about 792 was the the that the barton's tour was it was really authentic this wasn't like jim bean you know jim bean i love jim bean you you go to the distillery it feels like you're going to a golf course You've got the clubhouse up there, and there's if you're the golf doing carts. a tour
0: of Kentucky, by all means, hop on the Jim Beam tour. It is fantastic, amazing is. tour, soup to nuts. It is from the grain to the finished product. It is amazing,
1: great tour. It is beautiful. Everything about that tour is beautiful. It seems like everywhere you go, every angle is thought out. Like, oh, you got the view of the barn. Oh, this is the distillery, and there's 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 Industrial parts of the tour as well. Like here's our here's where we distill everything.
0: Simply distilling is an industrial process. Absolutely. It is,
1: but it's beautiful and painted well. There's no rust. Everything's perfect. Like There's a little shack is- that sells
0: barbecue. Yeah. Yeah. We. I mean, for me, what the funny thing was is, uh, the, uh, speaking with um, speaking with Justin, our tour guide, was, uh, this place blew up, a bunch of times. Up until 1946, it was retooled in 1946, and uh, it was state-of-the-art then. And we're still using state-of-the-art equipment from 1946. So a lot of the equipment is nearing end of life. They still, they're one of the only distilleries to to largely use coal power, which is amazing to me. Because, I mean, this isn't something that we, we don't. In Ontario, we've shut down all of our coal plants. Like, we, no one uses coal. Like, I cannot imagine how many tons of coal are brought into the province every year. But I'm imagining it's somewhere between three and ten.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and these guys pound through that every day.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so that was fascinating. And
1: clean burning coal, so... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. And a great no stride's been made. but yeah. uh,
0: But still, just like a fascinating thing. But like, to the point now where it sort of contributes to a local narrative. It's like, we buy this coal from eastern Kentucky... We buy our grains from southern Indiana and northern Kentucky. Uh, we buy our rise a little north from that. And, and this is really sort of a, like a 100-kilometer affair or 100-mile affair. But it, but it was truly an un- industrial uh, affair. So so what we're talking about at Jim Beam is we get these warm and fuzzies. Yeah. And it's amazing. And you drink from a cask there. And uh, I don't use the word transcendent a lot, but I had this with you a year and a half ago and yeah. a bunch of our other uh, colleagues. Uh a transcendent experience and we we took bourbon out of a cask it was filled with char and so it was put into a tasting glass a glencairn glass and it had char on the bottom and it was 10:30 in the morning on a thursday and this stuff was just the most incredible thing i've ever ingested from a bourbon perspective yeah. in terms of like incorporating context and everything it was great uh barton's tour not that no. barton's tour is uh Who is the client? The client is the person who distributes the whiskey or the person who is hiring us to bottle their brandy on the East Coast uh, or a variety of
1: other things. That Uh, column still was rusted and the paint was falling off and on the outside, obviously. Um, It was just, here's where we'd make whiskey and other stuff we make and that's what it is yeah it's sure. like
0: the Warren fuzzies are marketing dollars yeah the actual production of this stuff is very simple yeah take your mash bill heat it up let the yeast do its thing put it into barrels let it alone for a while put it into bottles and then sell it yeah completely refreshing it was really, so really refreshing. healthy yeah um i mean we get sucked into well, i mean like we talked a lot of pappy on this podcast, but like you just get sucked into that that old white dude who never made it past grade five, who's hauling on a cigar, and who's very hard to get to, and that's romantic. In this, there's nothing romantic about it, and that's great. Where did the importance come from? Uh, it was the best thing ever. We were taking this tour. It was uh, like 32 Fahrenheit. It was right on freezing, maybe a little bit colder. We were really cold. Yeah, three of us standing outside, it's the guide, Mark and I, and uh, we're just freezing. And this guy is doing his best, just saying like, well, this family bought it, and then these two partners did it. And all Mark and I are waiting for is for him to say the word Barton so we could just get inside to the mash house and get warm because, oh my God, it's so cold. And when we drove down, it was 23.5 degrees Celsius outside. It was, yeah, 74, 75. It was beautiful. Turns out Barton never comes up. It's just after the entire history of the thing. It was like, oh, and Barton just sounded like a cool name for the thing, so they just chose
1: that. Some say it's a coin flip. <laughs> like, oh. yeah, he actually did say that. Some say it was a coin flip. Like, yeah. I don't know. I
0: was waiting for Mr. Barton to buy the plant, so I knew there were three seconds left for the story, so I could get directly inside. And sort of bring it back to the 1792 cast strength. So we're drinking this stuff, when we ask our, our tour guide, Justin, What's uh Why don't you guys make this? And he said, oh, I've been trying. I've been trying to convince them to do it. And all I've said is just like, just give me a barrel or two a year. I'm so happy to do all the work. Uh, and they said, but we're operating our bottling line 24-7. We would have to approve the labels uh, for each barrel because they're different. Uh, we would need to figure out what the marketing process is deal with our distributors in such a low quantity of product that yeah. – we don't see anyone making money on this, and we don't see it being a very pleasurable process for anyone. So until that changes, we're not going to do anything about it. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, from, from the romantic in me is very sad. but From the uh, dispassionate and objective professional, it's like, yeah, I get that. No one's making money
1: on this. Yeah, it's not going to happen. They're going to wait until the brand has a big enough draw. And I'll do it, and then they'll do it, right? Uh,
0: I guess. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I mean, we'll find out. I guess. Stay tuned on that. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you've hit your 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 top three whiskeys then. That's, yeah. that's really exceptional. Uh, what were you most disappointed in? What was the weakest whiskey you had your first crack at this trip?
1: I would say I would have to preface this by I did not have this in a proper tasting glass, in a proper environment. So. Um, but that Maker's Mark uh, Cast Strength, I was really looking forward to having. I was heard about it, read about it, really want to have Maker's Mark Cast Strength because I'm a big fan of Maker's Mark 46. I don't like the standard Maker's Mark, but the 46 I really like. I think that really oak, we, we talked about this before, that weeded bourbon works really well with very oaky flavors. So 46 got a lot more oak flavors to it. Really enjoy that drink. And um, I was expecting more of those flavors in the cast strength, but I think the cast strength is a little too young. And by being young, it doesn't have that oakiness you really need in a high-proof whiskey. So I ordered this cast strength. Again, did not have this in the proper tasting glass. It was just in a rock glass, so a lot of variables there. But I kind of had this, and I'm like, what if i to pour some water into this drink to ease it off? It was a little too strong. Which is rare. I rarely ever want to pour any water into any whiskey I'm drinking. And so for me to say that, I'm just like, it's a little too hot. Okay,
0: so we came across a Reddit comment yesterday on uh, the bourbon subreddit. And it said uh, uh, the the thread was some of the effect of uh, what's the least popular opinion you have about bourbon. And one person said, maker's mark isn't as bad as everyone makes it out to be. What's your take on Maker's Mark as a tasting experience? That that base shelf, mm-hmm. that uh, thirty-five or forty-dollar bottle of bourbon, uh, as compared to what's available on the market in Ontario. Let's close it down so there's a more reasonable competition. Sure,
1: um, I think um, it really parallels what we talked about earlier. Uh, Maker's Mark, the the base Maker's Mark, not a good drink. Um, the forty-six more oakiness, now, so, when we say that, because it's a weeded bourbon, that that middle is dead. And in that basic, it's very, very dead. So, what you need, and it's not a shot against weeded bourbons, it just says like, weeded bourbons need a little bit more time, they need a little bit more oak, they need a little bit more of that flavor that comes from the wood. Where the opposite is is also true with something like 1792. Rye heavy, they don't need as much time because they have that rye flavor. Right. So, you know, you may get – I mean, I think, Glenn, you were drinking whiskey today. We drink a lot of rye-flavored whiskey, and you're like, I'm tired of rye. I just want something very oaky. Switch it up. Switch it up. It makes sense. It makes total sense. So, Maker's Mark, not much in the middle. The 46 gives you a lot more oakiness in the middle. It gives you a lot more character because it's aged, and that wood starts taking over that profile. Now, the cast rank, the problem is it's too young. It's a very young whiskey. That middle is still – It's got a lot of alcohol, so um, you're gonna get that first sip's gonna be very chaotic and interesting, and you're gonna be like, "This is great," but by the fourth sip, you're gonna be like, "Your palate's acclimated to all the alcohol," and you're gonna be like, "I don't know." So then, so let's think about this. I mean, we come across a
0: lot of older bourbons that we don't see in Canada and only exist in the United States because of legacy drinkers. Mm-hmm. people that are 70 years old and have had a brand affiliation for 55 years because America. Um, do you think that Maker's Mark will become our parents' whiskey or, or will be out of date or out of step with most modern bourbon drinkers? They throw a lot of marketing dollars at it, but they don't seem to get what
1: what bourbon drinkers want in 2015. I think unless Maker's Mark releases a 10- or 12-year-old maker's mark in the next few years they're they're passe yeah they are i mean they are like you've got pappy you've got weller 12 you've got options in the same category same ingredients that give you a lot more flavor so why would you have maker's mark if you have weller 12
0: that's right or but i mean even like nail it into the price point like lock it in and it's Mm -hmm. like do you take bullet or do you take makers it's like for me i think i take bullet every time
1: Right, because Bullet is a younger whiskey that's got a lot of flavor because it's got that rye, yeah, and it's balanced rye, right? Yeah, it's cleverly done. Yeah, absolutely. Right, like to me, uh, Maker's Mark, the white label, done, forty six, got to go with those flavors and expand.
0: Yeah, well, that's fascinating. I mean, it's probably the first, in Ontario at least, it's probably the first touch point most people have with bourbon. Uh, given that Jack Daniels doesn't fit within the mm-hmm. Kentucky Straight Bourbon's guidelines. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was the only player in Ontario for a really long time, mm-hmm. a really long time. And now I look at it, and it's got the wax covering on the top, which at one point, like, a younger me thought that was like, oh, that's interesting and exotic. But the red wax just cracks off, and then it's this crappy, hard, like, plastic red top on it, and it looks sort of disjointed, and, and the product itself is not a terribly pleasurable drinking experience, or it's not as current or as modern as a lot of the other products out there. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, is
1: odd and, and, and like mildly disappointing that they aren't keeping up with the times. Yeah. I mean, we, we've seen this with everything. you got to keep up with the times. And I think what we learned on this trip was the use of rye and how rye gives you a lot more immediate flavor at a very young whiskey and how weeded whiskeys just need a little bit more time. You can't rush that. And how straight ryes, which are at least fifty-one percent rye grain and corn and malted barley, typically um, do well, but they do need more time. Although a high rye that's very young at a cast strength as well, will it two-year-old great whiskey? Great whiskey. Because it's a cast strength. And then it's a balancing act of like how much do you water it down, and how much wood do you get?
0: Yeah, hot hot heat from the uh, from the alcohol content, mm-hmm. some spice from the rye. Like it's a different like there are competing balancing virtues to it. and It kind of makes sense. Thanks so much to the team at Buffalo Trace mm-hmm. for this trip, mm-hmm. for Dixon Dedman for his time, mm-hmm. and for the Bartons and 1792 team. Yeah, uh, for all the bars in Louisville, so uh, many bars. We drank your bourbon. We enjoyed it. We're grateful for having the opportunity to do it because it doesn't exist anywhere else anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to prep for a a nine-hour drive home tomorrow to our loving uh, families, partners, and dogs. And until next time.